Thank you, scripture readers, for getting us into the passage for today. My name is Kent. I'm also one of the staff here. Uh, I didn't share earlier because I'm going to share a bunch right now. They actually told me there was no time constraints today. So good news there. Um, I, I really want to reflect on a couple of those passages that they just read, uh, especially verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. I don't know about you, but already today I've just been grinning from ear to ear over here and so thankful for everyone in their recognition of God's faithfulness. And I just have to admit that even getting ready for this service today, it made me kind of nostalgic. So I kind of drifted back and I was actually thinking about my childhood and childhood toys. Now, I'm not quite 60. I was born in 1962, so I wasn't quite around when the church was born. But I got to thinking about some toys. And actually, some of my favorite toys are from the 60s. And um, I want you to get into that nostalgic mode right now. So I want you to think about your favorite childhood toy. And now we're going to do Mark Espy's favorite activity in the service. We're going to talk to our neighbor. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them your favorite childhood toy. Okay? Go ahead and talk about that for just a second. Okay, it might have been a mistake with all of you here in the room today, but it sounds like you had good childhoods. Favorite childhood toy, one of my favorite childhood toys was the Matchbox car. Remember those? Little tiny cars, and I actually had the little briefcase with the little blue containers, so you get little car-sized compartments, you could carry your car collection along with you. That was a great toy. Actually, some of the most uh, loved toys of all times came out of the 50s, so that's in the right decade. Also, some of the most dangerous toys of all time came out of the 60s. <laughs> I actually have a picture here of what has been determined to be the most dangerous toy of all times. Can you read that? That's the Atomic Energy Lab. It actually came... <laughs> Did any of you ever have one of these? Anybody here? Okay, good. You don't have to move away from them. This um, kit actually came with three different kinds of radioactive material. Not, not kidding and a fully functional Geiger counter so you could go out and find other radioactive material to play with. This is not necessarily a great idea for a toy. Okay, there was another uh, world's most dangerous toy that came out in the 50s too, and actually I was, we've been cleaning out my mother's house and we found on a shelf in the basement one of these that made the list of most dangerous toy of all times. Jarts, some of you remember this? Yes? I remember playing with these as a kid. I did not remember how heavy they are. These things are weighted. They're like a deadly weapon. They really are. I don't know who thought of this toy, but anyway, we'll be playing jarts in the lawn after dinner today if you want to play with me. So not such a good idea. But there was one toy created in 1959, the same year this church was born. A toy was born that is one of the most famous and popular toys of all time, still to this day. Anybody want to guess? Most popular toy, 1959. What? Some of you got it right. Yep, Barbie came out in 1959. That's the first year that came out. Probably as toys go, a little bit safer than some of these other toys. But Barbie is not the best toy ever. The best toy ever created actually came out quite a while before Barbie. 
Anybody dare guess? Talk to your neighbor and give them a guess of what the best toy ever was. Anybody guess this? They actually took a survey of best toys ever, and this was number one, and here's number two. Now, I was reading this survey, and I got to tell you, I went back into my childhood and remembered some fond, very fondly some activities with sticks. I had a lot of sticks when I was a little boy, and it can be a fishing pole or a magic wand or a king's scepter or a lightsaber or a conductor's baton. There's a lot of things you can do with a stick. And when I got to thinking about that, you know what I felt going on inside of me? I just felt like joy thinking about toys and thinking about these moments in my past that were just delightful and fun and expressive. And as I was thinking about that, I wondered if that was a little bit how Paul was feeling when he wrote about the church in Philippi, when he was writing this letter back to them. Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you, and in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So every time he thought back to this little church in Philippi, he was overwhelmed with joy. He kind of flipped out. I actually also looked up some photos this week of, um, this was from a photo contest entitled The Joy of Play. And there was actually 40 entrants in this contest. Every one of them was delightful. Go Google that later. There's uh, wonderful pictures of kids playing, and every one of them is like this, this expression of joy that just seems to naturally come out. And I couldn't help but wonder if when Paul thought about the Philippian church, if he just had that reaction. He like flipped out. He was so grateful and so joyous and so thankful for what happened in that early church. He couldn't help but celebrate and have joy. And so I was thinking about that as I was reading through this passage, and I was wondering what, what was the source of that joy and gratitude. And that's what I want to think about for just a few minutes with you. I want to think about the source of joy and gratitude that Paul experienced when he was working with the church in Philippi. And the first thing I think Paul uh, found as a source of gratitude was God's faithfulness. We've already been talking about that this morning, that Paul really celebrated the thing that God was doing in this little church that he planted in Philippi. Now, to understand maybe fully just how excited Paul got, I want to go back to the place in the Bible where it talks about the Philippian church in its formation. The, uh, Paul's pattern was this, to go visit a location and start a church there, and then he would leave, and later he would go back, and then he would write him a letter or a note of encouragement or support or some advice like that. So in the book of Acts, we actually see his travels, and we recognize the planting of these churches, what first happened there. So this is from Acts 16. If you want to look it up later, you can do that. Acts 16, this is what, Paul, uh, what Luke says. He says, from there, Paul traveled to Philippi, which was a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. This was Paul's pattern. He would go to large, important cities in the region, and he would preach the gospel there. So now he's been called to go to Macedonia, and he lands in Philippi, and then this is what happens next. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there, and one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, and she and the members of her household were baptized. Paul follows God's Macedonian call. He goes to this city, and the first convert mentioned is a woman named Lydia. 
She was probably not from that area. She was a foreigner, a transplant into Philippi. Ethnically, she was probably Asian. Economically, she was probably wealthy. She was a businesswoman selling fabric. And spiritually, she was probably a seeker. She had been going to this Bible study with these uh, other women studying the Hebrew Scriptures. And Paul shares the gospel, and she believes, and she immediately throws open her home, and she invites Paul and all of his companions to come stay there. And Paul flips out. He's, he's overjoyed because God is faithful. God sent him to this place. The gospel's preached, and someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is ecstatic. This is part of his joy and gratitude. God is faithful. And then here's what happens next. Once there were, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune teller, and she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way to be saved. And she kept doing this for many days, so finally Paul became so annoyed by her that he turned around and he said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus, I command you, be quiet. And at that moment, the spirit came out of her. And the slave girl comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And the church of Philippi grows. And Paul is, he flips out because God is faithful. God is growing his church through the preaching of the gospel in this place. And this next addition to the church is not wealthy or a well-learned person. She's a common person. She's probably a slave. She's probably been exploited by her owners. She's probably impoverished. And yet she becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, and the church grows. And then Paul gets in trouble because the men who owned this slave girl are angry because their source of income has just been taken away. And so they have Paul arrested, and a mob beats him up, and he gets thrown into jail. And then this is what happens next in Philippi. About midnight, Paul and his companion Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and all the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and the chains fell off everyone. And the jailer woke up and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword because he was going to kill himself. He thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted out, don't hurt yourself, we're all still here. And the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you can imagine Paul is flipping out right now because God is faithful. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and his household were baptized. And then the jailer brought the men into his house and set a meal before them. And they were filled with great joy. They're flipping out because God is faithful, filled with joy and gratitude because of what God has done here. I thank my God every time I remember you. And in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. This is what makes Paul grateful and joyful. God is faithful. He's also thankful, I think, because of the people that he meets there. And I think this is actually the second and third source of his joy and gratitude. Not only is God faithful, but there's these faithful people that God raises up. And then they begin to carry out their ministry with Paul, and they start to do that for generation upon generation. I thank my God for you every time I think of you. Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer and their households believe... 
And they immediately join in a partnership with Paul for the gospel. And they throw open their hearts, and they throw open their homes, and they love each other, and they love God. And the church grows, and God is faithful. There's something kind of interesting. We're going to go into a deeper study of the book of Philippians over the next several weeks. Um, something you should know as we're getting into this is that the letter of Philippians is, is dramatically different than any other of the letters that Paul wrote. All the other letters that Paul writes to the churches are based on some kind of bad behavior or bad teaching. So he has to go back to these churches and he has to say, I, I'm not there anymore, but I've heard that you're not living right or you're teaching something that's completely off base. But the letter to the Philippians doesn't have any of that. There's a little bit of advice, but there's no, like, scolding. Um, one of the commentators I read, Matt Chandler, said it this way. If you read any of Paul's other letters, you always find him saying, do this, don't do that, stop this, start doing that, quit going there, now act like this, get right, act right, be right. Paul apparently feels that these other churches have a lot of work to do, but Philippians is different. There's no big challenge here. There's no big issue. He just loves them. And this letter overflows with that tone of deep gratitude and affection and appreciation and encouragement. That's what he does. Paul celebrates the faithfulness of these people, and then he actually celebrates their faithfulness of what they're going to do. He's actually even looking forward in anticipation of what they're going to do in years to come. And the next verse says, and being confident of this, that the good work that God has started in you, God's going to continue it until one day it's completed. So God's, Paul's absolutely certain that they're going to continue to grow in their faithfulness. And I think those are three of the reasons why Paul celebrates and why he has deep joy and gratitude in this case. Now, I have to tell you that I can relate to Paul because I feel that way about Cedar Hills Church. Deeply joyful and, and, and grateful for you all here and for the history of our church. And as I've been looking back and thinking about it, I certainly saw time after time after time when God has been faithful to Cedar Hills Community Church, that he has been there. I look back through the decades and I saw births and baptisms and weddings, and I saw special projects that were undertaken and completed, huge challenges that were overcome, opportunities where God's power was real. I also saw times of hardship and difficulty and pain and funerals and loss, and in those times, God came near. God was still faithful in the good and in the bad, and I see that's been reflected throughout our history as a congregation. I remember one specific time in our journey that was, was tough. Uh, it was tough, I think, when we moved into this building. That was about 14 years ago. And I remember we had these high expectations, this great, beautiful new facility and wonderful opportunities. But I think it didn't necessarily turn out exactly like we thought it was going to turn out. And I remember, I don't know, I was probably moping around about it or something, and I had a conversation, and I think it was with Harlan. And now he's going to tell me if I got this right or not. But I think we were talking about... It doesn't feel right in this place yet. It feels off because I, don't, I couldn't tell why. And he said something like, well, we have to grow into it. And we'd spent all this time over at the Gordon Avenue building, and we had spent years living there. And in, th in those years, we had life. And we had joys, and we had pains, and we recognized God was faithful, and God was present. We experienced God at Gordon Avenue. 
And now we've been in this building only a few weeks, and I'm thinking, we haven't experienced God here yet. We haven't experienced great highs. We haven't experienced great lows. We, we, we just haven't had those moments. Now, after being here this long, I start to feel very different about this place. Because we've had 14 years of highs and lows, and one thing that has been consistent throughout everything is this. God has been faithful. And we've met God in this place, haven't we? We've met him on great, joyous days of celebration, and we've met him here on great, difficult, painful days of sorrow. God has been faithful. Now, over half of my experience of God's faithfulness with this congregation has been in this place, and I love this place. It makes me celebrate. I also can't help but celebrate when I think about God's faithful people, the people that have been part of our congregation through the years, and I haven't known them all, but I've heard stories and recognize their faithfulness. The faithful people who followed God's call in 1959 and said, we're going to plant a congregation in Cedar Rapids. And they did over there. And um, if any of you know where the old building is on Gordon Avenue, the story is it was a cornfield across the street. The the city was just coming out that direction. We're going to plant a church here. And they were faithful in following that call. The first pastor, founding pastor, Reverend Buseman, thank God for his faithfulness. I found some notes from the early board meetings that said the church's portion of his salary, his first full year here in 1960, was $1,725. So that guy was faithful. (laughs) Say, I love you guys, but I wouldn't work here for that. (laughs) I think, I thank God when I think about the faithfulness of all the pastors that have come before and their dedication to serve. The faithfulness of the 30 charter families who said, yeah, we'll sign up. They had no idea necessarily what they're signing up for, but they signed up to be part of this mission to reach Cedar Rapids. The faithfulness of the hundreds of families who have come since that day and been part of our mission to reach out and love the community. That just amazed by the faithfulness. One of the stories I heard, we've already mentioned Wayne Cooley today, who's a fixture out there. And I can pretty much say whatever I want to because I'm pretty sure Wayne can't hear me right now. So... <laughs> Wayne was part of a team that was faithful in going out door to door. And back in that day, the Gazette published everybody when they moved into the neighborhood. So you could get a list of every new address and their name and everything. So they would go greet these people into the neighborhood by name and welcome them. And Wayne told me a story about greeting a guy, and he wasn't too thrilled to have him there. But Wayne finally convinced this guy to take a free Bible, and so the guy took a free Bible and slammed the door in Wayne's face. And Wayne was concerned that the guy you know, wasn't going to come to faith or whatever. And years later, he couldn't remember the circumstances, but he, he met this guy, and the guy remembered Wayne, and he said this to him. He said, I didn't come to your church, but I read the Bible, and I came to faith in Christ. And I go to another church now. So God is faithful, and he uses God's faithful people in ways we don't even expect sometimes. This is something I think that is, is worth celebrating. I give thanks every time I remember the faithful people who have been part of our congregation. And of course, there are special people to me who, who have invested in me um, over the years. And one of those is Ray. And I warned him that I was going to say something about him today, but I didn't tell him what. For almost 25 years now, Ray has been a mentor because he came to me my first few months here and he said, um, I'm willing to walk with you through whatever, whatever happens. And I could tell something innate in Ray, and that was he loved me. He cared about me, and he has walked with me through so many 
tough times and so many good times, and hopefully I've walked with him through some of those times at all, and he's given me more advice than I could ever use. And... Um, <laughs> Anyway, you guys know I love to get all mushy, so Ray, I love you, and I just thank you. I give thanks every time I remember you, and always pray with joy because of the way that you have invested into my life. In fact, this is not an exaggeration. I would not still be in ministry if it wasn't for the ministry of Ray to me, for, for the care that he has given to me, so thank you, Ray, for that. Other people, Judy Vigors, who used to lead our worship team for years, she would come and help. This was before Leah came, and I was in charge of everything and all the worship stuff, and she helped me endlessly with that, also giving me all kinds of advice and pointers, including the important advice of keeping my shoes polished on Sunday. <laughs> she actually gave me one of those little portable polish things to put in my desk drawer. To this day, I still have one of those in my desk drawer, and I forgot to polish my shoes this morning, but... I think of other people who were partners in ministry, Matt and Jerry Gingrich, who served together for many years in youth group, um, Carla Weeks, who was a faithful elder, and, and Dee Williamson, who was like a mother to me. Um, now, she wasn't like your typical mother, <laughs> not like your nurturing kind of mother, but um, she would come into my office sometime well, I'll just share our biggest fail. One time we decided it would be a really good idea during a communion service to nail people's sins to the wall. So we had somebody in the back. Some of you remember this service? We had someone back there with a nail gun while we were serving communion, <laughs> nailing pieces of paper to a wall. And Dee come into my office hot that day and let me know what kind of a bad idea that was, as she was prone to do. And then she, I could almost count on it. Two days later, I got a phone call from Dee. Any time she read me the riot act, two days later, I would get a phone call from Dee, and she would be, I never should have talked to you that way. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. She was a beautiful woman. Many of you are like family. Some of you are like parents and grandparents, others like siblings, like sons and daughters. Some of you like my grandkids since my own kids won't do anything about that. Um, and there may be a couple of you out there who are like the crazy uncle, just so you know. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion one day. Paul once said this to another congregation that he loved dearly. He said this, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but also to share our lives. And this is one thing I appreciate about Cedar Hills more than anything else, and that's that people are willing to share their lives with each other, that we're willing to open up and be part of a community and I often feel overwhelmed with love and affection, especially when I'm going back through all these history and all these pictures and reminded of people from the past. What about you? Can you look back in your history, first of all, and say, you see some time when God was faithful? Can you recognize God's faithfulness in your life? It might have been a time of great joy and celebration, or it might have been a time of great difficulty or hardship, 
or it might just be normal life. Can you identify a time in your life when God was faithful? Give thanks for that. And can you identify some people in your life that God has used? Faithful people who God brought alongside of you and they encouraged you and mentored you and prayed for you and walked with you through tough times. Can you, can you picture someone? Picture a name or a face, someone, a faithful follower of Christ who God used to shape you in your life, maybe to turn your life in a whole new direction. This is reason to give thanks. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers are filled with joy because of you. Looking back, I celebrate these things and recognize God's faithful work throughout our life and I think that a lot of it has to do with um, this one foundation of God's faithfulness. And Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as Lois said in the children's sermon, it doesn't matter if it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago or 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 years into the future, we know that God is faithful, that he is watching over us, and that Jesus Christ is never going to be the same, that he's always going to be the same no matter what comes. And this is something that we celebrate together every month when we gather at communion. And uh, several people were surprised that we're doing this today because we had communion last Sunday, but our planning team thought it would be wise and a, a really great part of our celebration if we could share in communion together. And what we're celebrating at this table is, is God's faithfulness and Jesus and his unchangeableness. And so as we get ready to celebrate in the Lord's Supper together, I'd like to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. So let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you today and I, I give you thanks because you are um, a good God and faithful. And God, one of the ways that we've seen your faithfulness displayed to us is in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, as we come to this table today, we prepare ourselves by confessing that we have not always been so thankful. We've not always been such grateful people. But we don't come to this table because of the good things we've done. We come because of the good thing that Christ has done for us. So, God, thank you for that. We ask that you'll nurture us and feed us, and we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.